Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our current lecture. And I am not advertising for uh, ESI, but this was a meeting that ESI put together and that I was actually program director for. And the reason I show this is if you look at the speakers and forgetting uh, their names, you can see that this was a really terrific meeting because it was a meeting on imaging the abdomen, but it had oncologists, surgeons, medical oncologists, surgical oncologists, and radiologists trying to look at a topic. And I think that indeed is very important. If you really look at where things are going, here was an article in AJR about neuroendocrine tumors. Radiologists in collaboration with oncologists, surgeons, and pathologists should adopt a multidisciplinary approach that includes use of imaging and clinical pathologic data to optimize focused care of patients. And again, this is on neuroendocrine tumors, but the same thing can be said with everything. Radiology needs to be part of a multidisciplinary effort, and that's really where we're strongest. Turks, as newer therapeutic agents and approaches become available, it may be necessary to further modify existing anatomic-based response assessments, verify promising imaging methods, and investigate new quantitative imaging technologies. Again, making the point that we're part of a community, and this community is changing, and things are going to change. And in this meeting, we looked at many of the things that are happening and things that will happen in the future, and I think that's very exciting. And I gave the uh, opening talk, I think, on the role of CT and CTA in the oncology patient. And so let me go through some of the things, things I spoke about. So things we can look at. What defines success? What's its current role? How will it change in the future in terms of its applications? And what are some of the new directions? And some of the things that are easy to say, the success of CTA is an understanding and an optimization of a number of critical factors. Understanding our capabilities, including our limitations. Understanding how to design protocols and how to implement those protocols in practice. And understanding that axial images are not where we need to be. We're going to talk about post-processing and other things like that. We really need to understand the questions that we need to answer. Giving a radiology report, a CT report, a CTA report, or in fact any report where we don't understand the questions that need to be answered is not going to be of value. We need to understand the importance of accurate disease staging and what key parameters that must be answered for the surgeon or the medical or surgical oncologist. And again, every modality has limitations, and even I would admit that CT has some limitations, and it will vary from disease to disease and patient to patient, but we need to understand those limitations. We need to understand the things we do, whether it's in lesion detection or lesion characterization, staging of disease, and also transferring information to a referring physician. We need to get the information to them in a form that they indeed can use it. In oncology, we need to measure response to therapy. It's not just a one-time study, but what's happening? Are things getting better or getting worse or staying the same? We need to monitor patients over time. And also, we need to look for complications of therapy, whether it's surgery, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, often we're the first persons to recognize. We need to know that when we design protocols, they need to be machine-specific. And this is true in oncology, but in everything. You need to really optimize the protocols for your scanner. 
We need to really focus on the basics at times. Injection rates need to be in the four to five cc range. We need to know what protocols we do. What phases do we need? If you don't do arterial phase in hepatoma, for example, you're going to miss 30% of lesions. If you don't do arterial phase in kidneys, you're going to miss 20% of lesions. If you don't do delayed phase in kidneys, you're going to miss transitional cells. We need to know what to do. And our scanners now, 64 slice or better on the bottom two lines. We're getting thin sections and thousands of slices with the capability of really doing things well. When you think about the advantages as we get past 64 slice or even at 64, it's spatial resolution of under 0.4 millimeters. Now the newest scan is RSNA 2013. We're pushing it under 0.3. Temple resolution, dual source 75 milliseconds and dropping, and isotropic data sets. And although we think about the advances in CT were designed for cardiac, and so if you want to look at a 4-millimeter vessel like the LAD and look for 50% stenosis, indeed you need high temporal and high spatial resolution. But those same technologies really drive what we do in terms of liver imaging. So this is an easy case. It's a cirrhotic liver with a vascular right low mass, and yes, it's a hepatoma, but if you look at it a bit more carefully and put it under a CT microscope, now you see the neovascular vascularity within the tumor. You can see the feeding vessels and determining whether it should be embolized or resected. We know exactly what is going on and we can look at the vascularity. Vascularity often defines the aggressiveness of tumors and the vascularity will often define what chemotherapy will indeed work. We look at patterns. So saying a lesion is vascular, it still could be a benign lesion. Hemangioma is a vascular, and so are focal nodular hyperplasia. But FNH is homogeneous, as in this case, with a central scar. And when you look at it in coronal view, you see the scar. And when you look at it in 3D, you see the large feeding vessel representing the hepatic artery. Think about this case as a benign lesion and compare it to this case where you see a vascular lesion. It has a rim, but it's not the rim of a hemangioma. It has also that haziness around it, the neovascularity. And this is classic for malignancy. It was a neuroendocrine tumor metastatic to the liver. And the specific tumor is probably not that critical. But you know, looking at this, it's malignant. And the truth is it's vascular. So I could think of hepatoma. And if I think of vascular mets, I could think of renal and neuroendocrine tumor as two good examples. When we talk about protocol design, do we need non-contrast CT? What phases do we need and how do we deliver the contrast? We need to really design our protocols to optimize the KV and MAS and collimation and reconstruction. We need to know what kind of contrast do we give. More and more of our protocols use water as oral contrast, particularly when looking at CT angiography. We need to know about giving a rapid injection rate through good IV access. When do you use rectal contrast? When do you use contrast in the bladder for CT cystogram? This is dependent on the specific application. And if you don't have good protocols, you can go to CT as us. Now we have all of the vendors, G and Siemens and Philips and Toshiba. So it's a good start for you to look at the protocols there. And when you have protocols, just like on the website, you need to have very specifics. Here's a pancreatic protocol, looking at the phases, looking at coverage, looking at the scan parameters, looking at how we inject and how we reconstruct. Everything is there. And you need to make certain at your institution you have that for every different application. When I look at errors, particularly on the uh, 
data acquisition, it's often poor injection, too slow an injection, poor timing, too early or too late, lack of appropriate phases, the slices are too thick, the patient is not following instructions, or the interaction between the technologist and the patient isn't working and there's motion on the study. We also know that post-processing is critical. Often it's easy to recognize things on a 3D view that you're not going to see on an axial view. We know the importance of that, particularly in surgical planning. The interactivity of the data set becomes important. And now with the use of mobile devices, the information can be everywhere and anywhere. We need to take advantage of that capability. And an important thing we like to speak about is when you think about CT or CTA, Axials give you some information, but it's volumes that give you everything. It's that volume visualization. It's that quote about being able to see features which are hidden in the data, but are necessary for exploration and analysis. It makes us do our job better. And I always like to show this case of Crohn's where on axials you do appreciate the thickened bowel and you know the patient has Crohn's, but in the coronal, the extent of involvement is better to understand, it's easier in terms of the extent, but on the MIP imaging, you see the vascular rectum much better, you see the fact this patient has active Crohn's disease. Now with MIP, you don't get a really good look at bowel, you can see the enhancement and the interface to the vessels, but on the volume rendering, you can see the wall thickening, you can see the strictures, you can see the enhancement. So again, think about those axial images and look how far we've gone. And this is no additional radiation, no additional time for the patient. It's just simply post-processing. Another big thing in oncology is going to be the use of dual energy. I've given talks before on dual energy, but just to make a few key points, we're looking at the photoelectric effect and the variability of K edges, which forms the basis for dual energy. We recognize that different elements will have different K edge values, and so we're able to separate things. Now, one of the things will be not only separating calcium from bone, but in tumors, perhaps we can define whether disease is active or inactive. We could potentially look at response to therapy. Now, you can do dual energy with two x-ray tubes or a single x-ray tube. GE is probably the best example of the single x-ray tube, and that works very nicely. Again, it's a very rapid switch between the two energies as the scanner goes around. There's certain advantages like full field of view, and the dual energy scanners of using the two x-ray tubes are best defined by Siemens. And again, uh, that makes a lot of sense. You have the ability to separate. Each tube has a certain energy. But again, regardless of what scanner you have, as long as you have dual energy, it has certain great advantages. I mentioned bone separation, so because calcium and contrast iodine have a far different element number, and so the KH is significantly different, we can see the ability to simply pull out the vessels without spending a lot of effort. And we can hopefully see this go forward in many oncologic applications. Now, when you think about oncology and 3D imaging, there are many things we can talk about. Renal cancer and pancreatic cancer, liver, adrenal, colon, sarcomas, and we're gonna speak about all of them or we spoke about all of them at the meeting, and we on CTSS will speak about all of these over the coming year. But it's the things that are very specific in oncology that I'd like to cover for a moment. We talk about software being designed for oncology, being able to quantify volumes of tumors like lung, and then being able to look at that over time. 
We talk about the importance of CAD in looking for colon polyps, where CAD increases our sensitivity and specificity for polyp detection. We talk about the thing I mentioned about phases, multiple small vascular lesions, a dome of the liver consistent with hepatoma, go to venous phase, the lesions are gone. But it goes beyond that. In this case, we see some prominent vessels in the dome of the liver posteriorly, but you don't really appreciate a mass here, even when I suggest a mass. But if I take it into 3D with MIP imaging, now look at that neovascularity. You know there has to be an underlying tumor present, which is very nicely shown. Or in this case, a very subtle bump off the left lobe of the liver, some prominent vascularity heading into it, and that was also a hepatoma. And there have been several articles, and this article by Jang talking about characterization um, made the point arterial and delayed phase were essential to really optimize. So again, what optimizes protocol? The same thing is true in the pancreas. This was a patient referred to us for the tail of the pancreas tumor. And when you look hard, it looks like an infiltrating mass by the tail of the pancreas. But instead of arterial phase, you get venous phase, and here they are side by side. That mass was a pseudomass, and it was simply all varices. Not what you want to be operating on, and not what you want to be biopsying. But there it is. So again, the right phase makes an answer very obvious that the wrong phase can make impossible. And again, you can't always get it right in the first phase, but that's why we have multi-phase imaging. Or in this case, do you see a pancreatic mass in this patient? I don't know, but look at the pancreatic head. Can I convince you there's a mass there? I probably can't, or maybe since I'm lecturing, you'll believe anything. But look at the arterial phase. This is 30 seconds earlier. Look at that vascular lesion. That was a neuroendocrine tumor, almost three centimeters in size. And here are the images side by side. It's amazing what you could miss if you don't have the wrong phase in the oncology patient. And here's another example. Same patient, again, looking at that MIP imaging. And now we're so good. We used to be 30% or 35% with neuroendocrine tumors. Now look, we can pick up incidental five millimeter lesions in the pancreatic head. So lesion detectability is totally dependent on your protocol. Or in this case, renal cell carcinoma, routine follow-up, you would say looks good. Left nephrectomy bed, pancreas falls posterior, spleen falls posterior, bowel falls posterior. But look what happens on earlier phase. There's a three centimeter vascular mass in the tail of the pancreas. Metastatic renal cell to pancreas. Classic example, classic case, easy to see on the correct phase, which is arterial, impossible to see on later phase imaging. We talk about potential errors, and a very big part of what we do is learning. So in the pancreatic phase of things, we think about pancreatic masses, but often in our multidisciplinary conference, we see things that are referred in for pancreas. And often they can be things in the duodenum, like a duodenal carcinoma or a gist tumor, can be nodes, can be lymphoma, can be lymphangioma. This patient was a pancreatic mass thought to be anyway, but you notice it's smooth, round, well-defined, and does not cause duct dilatation, and does not cause any distortion of the hepatic or GDA. And when you look at it a bit closer, it's really well-defined. A butt's portal vein, what is it? Well, this was a gist tumor of the duodenum. So again, you have to recognize not only lesion detection, but classification becomes important. We talk about a multidisciplinary conference at Hopkins, and again, this is indeed very, very important. 
uh, in terms of how we do things. You can see that 23% of patients who came with suspected pancreatic cancer or proven pancreatic cancer had a change in their recommended management based on our uh, multidisciplinary board. And 18% of these was due to the, uh, or a little more than 18%, in fact, was due to just imaging. So the importance of imaging in reaching the right diagnosis and reaching the right staging. We know there are multiple mistakes. We wrote an article, it's an article by Karen Horton, talking about misdiagnoses. None of us are perfect, but again, it's recognizing the pitfalls that really improves what we can do. We talk about imaging in the kidney. Very nice normal kidney, cortical medullary phase, the volume rendering in MIP show it very nicely. And then we can see in volume rendering the neovascularity in the left renal mass. And based on that vascularity, we know that mass is going to be a um, clear cell renal cell carcinoma. There's a lot of work going on, and we're doing some work at Hopkins, Shiva Raman, looking at lesion analysis with CT, talking about the ability to segment and separate out lesions. Here's an article from Hopkins talking about that, but then even going further can we predict outcomes? Can we predict how patients should be managed? We talk about phases. There's an infiltrating process, left renal hilum, which is a bit difficult to recognize, but you should see it on these images, early phase. But look at late phase. Now look at the infiltration by the lower pole calyx, classic transitional cell carcinoma. Again, the point we made before, if you don't have excretory phase imaging, you will miss many of the transitional cell carcinomas. We look at detectability. Here was a case, hematuria. Look at the left ureter. It kind of looks normal. I've widened the window a bit, and if you look really hard with a good imagination, you can see what looks like a donut, but easy to miss. There's no obstruction, but look what happens when I go to coronal display. Look at that lesion. It's a bit over a centimeter. Here it is in 3D. That's a transitional cell carcinoma. Just a beautiful example of how good we can do on imaging, uh, if done correctly, the right phase and the right presentation. And here it is again. Now, where are the changes in CT in oncology coming from and what can we expect to see? Well, I can guess the usual things. Faster scanners, higher resolution, decreased dose, increased use in screening for select diseases. Lung cancer is the one that's really coming strongly on next. But I think it's the not so obvious changes that are really gonna drive us. I think we're going to move from a physiologic to a physiologic base, from just an anatomic base. Can we predict aggressiveness of tumors? Can CT be used to predict the response of tumors to therapy? Can we be uh, using CT to predict the at-risk patients for occurrence of tumor? I think that indeed is going to be possible. An article by Shiva Raman looking at the liver really has great potential in being able to separate out the various tumor types, whether it's benign or malignant lesions with a high rate of success based simply on their texture analysis. CTA may prove valuable in lesion discrimination and characterization and is able to successfully categorize three common hypervascular lesions based on texture parameters. And again, you can see this is all computer, but all you were simply doing was picking certain levels within the tumor using very complicated algorithms and coming up with the prediction models. We talk about oncology. We talk about perfusion. 
um, clinical applications. Can we use perfusion CT as dose decreases for lesion characterization, for better staging, for prognostic biomarker response prediction, and for response assessment? Articles like by Garcia, tumor angiogenesis is essential for cancer growth and provides an attractive target for oncologic therapies. CT perfusion is an important imaging tool in this regard. And Garcia goes on to say that CT perfusion may augment standard therapeutic assessment in clinical trials and in the clinical environment. So again, the ability to assess response, predict complications, look at the difference between responders and non-responders. And again, this is in the research zone, but as mentioned, going into the clinical zone. We talk about articles like this one by Coe, looking whether uh, different parameters in looking at a tumor can predict five-year overall survival in colon cancer. And in this case, they were in fact able to predict who did well by simply looking at the data using a mathematical formulation. We talk about functional imaging markers you know, where will that fit in? PET-CT for persist criteria, MR spectroscopy, diffusion-weighted MR, dynamic contrast-enhanced imaging techniques. Um, these will be the changes we see. We talk about imaging biomarkers as standardized measurement techniques for converting visual imaging findings into quantitative or qualitative data that may be applied in the evaluation of treatment response. We talk about how we look. Simply doing measurements, the classic ERISA criteria, may not be where we need to be. We have improved the RESIS criteria by looking and making it simpler, and it does address a number of issues from its predecessor, but does not address certain fundamental weak points, such as lack of incorporation of necrosis criteria, treatment modality, and image acquisition protocols. When you look and go forward, the importance of variability between readers is important. And again, we know that we can do a good job in this regard. In this article by McLean, looking at variability, potential variability, found that overall intra and intra-observer variability rates were similar. In clinical practice, serial CT measurements can be safely performed by different radiologists. We talk about lesion size, depending on lesion size, Increases of up to 6% or greater in the long axis and 7% or greater in the short axis and decreases of minus 10% and up to minus 12% or greater can be considered true changes rather than measurement variation with a 95% confidence. So it's been shown that how we do measurements works well. But again, we need to be looking forward. We need to be looking at how we put perfusion into this. Are there specific disease markers for specific diseases, be it hepatoma, lymphoma, renal cell carcinoma, as three examples? The persist criteria, again, using and expanding the role of PET in imaging. We talk about different diseases mass criteria for renal cell carcinoma, mass, morphology, attenuation, size, and structure. Mark central necrosis becomes important. We divide responses such as favorable response based on tumor size decrease as well as necrosis. Unfavorable or indeterminate responses less than 20% or absence of necrosis. So again, looking at how we use these criteria, uh, it comes very, very important to realize where CT works. This article by Chung making that point very nicely. Response evaluation using changes in tumor size and density on CT, better predicted time to tumor progression than changes in tumor size only. 
okay? And again, in this case, it was dependent on the patient's treatment modality. We're going to learn that often how we measure things depends on the treatment. Does necrosis mean the patient's getting better or getting, way, getting worse? We suggest adding tumor density changes to new criteria for evaluating treatment response of the anti-cancer treatment agents or tumor types. So again, we need to be changing. We talk about how we do those studies, and here's just one of the protocols. Again, protocols are going to be very, very important. And if you're following patients over time, the protocols need to be exact. We talk again about this rhesus criteria, and again, you can read this, and you should read this, but it continues to change. But again, is it perfectly correct? The answer is no, and we're looking at modifications. Monitoring the oncology patient is one of the key things we do in CT, monitoring progression or regression of tumor volumes, looking for sites of recurrence, and looking for complications are the things we do. We know that complications indeed occur. This article by Ganeshan, imaging plays an important role in the early identification of complications, which may allow more effective patient management. So I've gone through several things and made you think that we've done a great job, but we can do even a better job. There's new tools coming along. CT has played a major role in oncology. It's revolutionized oncology for greater than the past four decades, but it will continue to evolve and continue to play a major role, but the role will change as our technology gets better. The key thing, if you step back and look at it from 30,000 feet, is this integration of radiology, surgery, medical oncology, radiation oncology into a streamlined force for personalized and individual patient care. Since our goal is the best care for each individual patient, this is something that is mandatory for us to do. And with that, have a great day.